Lori Vallow is competent. Did the police in the Delphi investigation forget this little fact? Something weird going on in Idaho? Gabby Petito's parents get $3 million. Try collecting that judgment. Casey Anthony's judge said he's not buying that story. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Thanks for watching Crime Talk. My name is Scott Reich, and we got a great show for you. Now, remember, subscribe if you haven't, like if you do, hit that little bell so you receive notifications when we go live or put up new content. And remember, you can always watch us or listen to us anytime on your favorite podcasting app. I apologize I didn't do a show yesterday. It turned out I had to keep doing some of that real lawyer stuff. And... Uh, well, it took priority, so my apologies to you. We have a great show for you today. So let's go ahead and open the docket for Thursday, November 17th, 2022. So Judge Boyce has issued an order in the Lori Vallow matter, and guess what? She's competent. Let's take a look at what the order says. The order says, on this date, the court issued its sealed findings of fact, memorandum, and order subsequent to a competency hearing conducted on November 9th of 2022. The court has now determined that the defendant, Lori Noreen Vallow-Daybell, is competent and therefore fit to proceed to trial. Therefore, the October 6, 2022 order staying the case is hereby lifted, and the court will reschedule trial in this case. Now, Lori Vallow's competency to stand trial was in question during earlier proceedings in May of 2021. However, restorative treatment was rendered and eventually Lori Vallow was adjudicated competent to face the charges against uh, her on April of 2022. But the commensurate order from that month was just an unilluminating as the, as the one issued just the other day. Well, the renewed question about her competency in early October came shortly after concerns that Vallow was caught repeatedly smiling into the television pool's camera during a television hearing. Now, Judge Boyce has banned television coverage of future hearings because he believed that Vallow's uh, Sixth Amendment rights were in jeopardy due to the highly saturated local and national coverage of this case. Now, Vallow's attorneys requested the uh, clampdown on the coverage uh, back on August 30th of this year, and prosecutors agreed with the defense on September 12th, and cameras were subsequently banned. The judge noted that there was no indication that any media organization had ever violated this previous order in the uh, Valla or Daybell uh, cases. However, he was going to do it to uh, protect the uh, entire situation. In banning these cameras for future hearings, uh, Judge Boyce went on at length to clarify that the issue was with the potential effects of the coverage and not with the actual conduct of the press in the court. All I have to say is, let's go do this thing. She's competent. Let's get a trial date. And nobody's moving on any dates. Next on the docket, did the police forget that Richard Allen admitted that he was on that bridge? In February of 2017, that's right, Richard Allen was arrested on October 26th and then charged two days later with the murders of Libby German and Abby Williams that took place back in February of 2017. Now, as we all know, Abby 13, Libby 14, went missing on the last day of a uh, winter break on February 13th when they went hiking through the woods near the Indiana's historic Monon High Bridge. Now, a police source recently revealed that Allen was in the area of the killings on the day of the Gore's murder. He told a conservation officer that he was in the area that day, but his report could have been considered unfounded. 
So right after Abby and Libby's death, Alan went to the officer and said he was on that bridge that afternoon, but he never saw the girls, according to this source. Investigators recently stumbled upon this forgotten shred of evidence, apparently, when the Indiana State Police asked a team of detectives to look over the Delphi case. After the murders, police discovered a video from Libby's phone where an unidentified man tells the girls down the hill. The video shows a white male dressed in jeans, a hoodie, and a blue jacket walking towards the eighth grader on a bridge with his hands in his pockets. Detectives believe that Allen is the unidentified man in the video and in the sketches released by the police throughout the Indiana State Police investigation. Now, the state police isn't going to confirm any of this information as of right now. They said, quote, out of respect for the prosecutorial process, which is being led uh, by the Carroll County prosecutors, the Indiana State Police have no further information to release. Now, this continues to be an active investigation, and the Indiana State Police will continue to provide any and all resources, end quote. One of Allen's alleged classmates, who went by the name Amanda, gave her reaction to the recording on a podcast. This woman stated the uh, asked, was asked if that matched Allen's voice, and although she didn't want to speculate, of course she did, she said it was very close and it gave her chills. Now, the girls had made plans to be picked up later in the afternoon in, back in 2017, but after they failed to show up, a relative called authorities. Their bodies were found the following day along Deer Creek, about a quarter of a mile east of the Monon High Bridge. Officials only divulged that the girls' bodies were posed and that the suspect took an undisclosed trophy from each victim. Police have yet to reveal any potential role in the girls' deaths. The eighth graders' cause of death has not been released either. Hopefully, we'll get some more news on the 22nd when that will be released to the public. Like many Americans, we got a dog during the pandemic. My quarantine dog, Miss Winnie the Bulldog. Now, Miss Winnie has grown accustomed to being around us all the time. When we were leaving the house, Winnie would have extreme anxiety, so we decided to look for natural products to help with her anxiety. We looked for the highest quality CBD treats, and we were not satisfied, and neither was Winnie. So we created a high quality CBD product that absorbs faster and provides the required results faster. Baked in Colorado CBD treats and beverage enhancers are made with nanotechnology. The nanotechnology makes the CBD extraction more pure, also allows for Baked in Colorado products to work faster. Baked in Colorado products can help reduce your pet's anxiety, ease joint pain, and help with your dog's skin problems. Go to our online store and see what Baked in Colorado product is best for your dog. When you order at bakedincolorado.com, enter code WINNIE and receive 15% off your first order. We have a 30-day money-back guarantee. If your dog does not experience the desired results in 30 days, return the product and we will refund your money. No questions asked. Next on the docket, the Idaho College Killings. Some breaking news. First, the autopsy confirms that the cause of death was a homicide. The information is not being reported in great detail as of yet, but the coroner has been able to confirm that this was not some sort of murder-suicide type of situation. Police have confirmed that they have yet to identify a suspect or find a murder weapon uh, three days after the stabbing of the four students and revealed that two roommates were inside the house at the time of the killings. 
Now, the victims, three women and one man, were found on Sunday morning inside the student housing there, or the student house, and the three women shared with no visible signs of any break-in. Uh, the three women have been named as Madison Mogan, Kaylee Concalves, and Yana Kernoodle. Easy for me to say. The man, Ethan uh, Chapin, was the uh, boyfriend of Kernoodle, one of the uh, housemates. Now, there is still someone out there who committed four crimes. And this is according to the uh, chief of police there by a guy by the name of James Fry. He said, quote, we all have to be aware of our surroundings and make sure we're watching out for each other. Uh, the chief said that they believe it was a targeted attack, but added we needed to be aware. The individual is still out there. He also added, we cannot say there is no threat to the community. Duh. Now, back in September, a man who flashed a knife at a student uh, turned himself into the police who said that the incidents were completely unrelated. However, they added they are looking at every angle. Now, police received a call at noon on Sunday and have uh, concluded that there were four people stabbed to death up to nine hours before the uh, discovery of the body, sometimes between 3 and 4 a.m. The police chief did say that uh, two unnamed roommates were inside the house when the police arrived. He wouldn't say whether the pair uh, were the ones who called the police, and he wouldn't say whether they were persons of interest. Uh, the, the report that we got from them was that they were unconscious, and um, that's what the police originally said. It wasn't until the police officers got onto the scene to do a wellness check that they found the scene that they found. Now, veteran Moscow Police Department uh, officers have described the scene as among the most gruesome and harrowing they have ever seen, uh, with the uh, four people left to bleed to death inside the house. 25 people from the FBI, Idaho State Police, and the Moscow Police Department have been assigned to this case. Um, all four murdered students uh, were back at the house we know by about 1.45 a.m. There was no sign of any forced entry. The police said they aren't sure if the door was unlocked, but there was no apparent damage to anything, and the door was still open when the police arrived. Chief added they also didn't believe that anything was stolen from in the house. And university officials were asked about the September 12th alert about the uh, stabbing threat, and uh, they said they don't believe that they were related. Apparently, there was a group of students walking back to Greek Row in that particular situation, and uh, they encountered an individual who was not affiliated with the university. He flashed a knife. The individual then turned himself in the following day to law enforcement. Now, Kernodal and Chapin had been at a party on the campus, while uh, Mogan and Goncalves were at a bar in town. Uh, the chief asked why anyone uh, who had seen the four that night uh, to get in touch with them. Now, earlier on Wednesday, new footage emerged of uh, Mogan and Goncalves ordering takeout from a food truck and uh, chatting with other young people there two hours before they were basically stabbed and left to bleed to death. The video was filmed by the food truck operator Grub Truckers as part of a live stream that he does on Saturday night. It may or may not hold some clues um, as to the final hours before the uh, two uh, are now deceased. It shows the pair stumbling towards the truck, ordering a, a plate of carbonara pasta and waiting about 10 minutes between 1.30 and 1.43 a.m. The women appeared to walk towards the truck from the other side of the street. When they arrived, they were joined by a young unidentified man. He hung back as uh, Goncalves ordered the food. 
then waited with the woman until they received the order. At 1.53 a.m., the women walked away in one direction, leaving the young man speaking with others at the truck. He looked in their direction, surprised that they'd walked off, but then is seen walking around the corner in a different direction to them. When Goncalves placed the order at 1.43, the server Joseph Woodall uh, welcomed her and saying, welcome back. Police are searching for also what they refer to as a Rambo-style knife in the alleged slain. And according to the Moscow Building Supply General Manager Scott Jutt, that a police officer stopped by the retailer more than once this week to inquire about the possible sale of a K-bar. It's a combat knife used specifically kind of by the Marine Corps. The police were asking whether they carry the K-bar style knife, uh, which they do not. Obviously, if we did, he, he stated that they would uh, go back and review the footage, but it wasn't something that he could help them with. Um, he said it's a tactical knife. Obviously, it's been used uh, by the Marines since the 1940s. It's not really a Rambo knife. I've got one. Uh, they're just an all-purpose knife that you use, uh, and they're predominantly uh, made for the military, particularly the Marine Corps. And um, we'll see if that's what the police are looking for. Now, no suspect or motive has been determined in those lanes. We'll keep you updated. Gabby Petito's parents have been awarded $3 million in damages from the estate of her late boyfriend, Brian Laundrie, after suing his parents for how they handled their daughter's disappearance and the death last year. Now, Brian murdered Gabby, his 22-year-old fiance, during a cross-country road trip in August of 2021. After strangling her in Wyoming, Brian drove the van back to his parents' home in Florida and spent weeks with them before fleeing when suspicion over Gabby's disappearance started to mount. The young couple had been visiting the America's National Park in a camper van and sharing their adventures on Instagram, but behind the scenes there was some uh, fighting incessantly, apparently, and to the point that the police had to separate them for one night during the trip. For days, he and his parents ignored Gabby Petito's request for information. He then fled the house, ultimately being found um, deceased in the marsh. Gabby's parents sued the Laundry family for malice and wrongful death, and the case was due to go to trial in December. Now, they also sued Christopher and Roberta Laundry separately in a civil case that remains active. Uh, they claim that the May lawsuit that Christopher and Roberta uh, Laundry uh, knew that uh, Brian had murdered Gabby, uh, but they had planned to help him flee the country. Well, an agreement has been reached between them, however, which uh, brings the end of this case. It's unclear if the Laundry family has $3 million to give. In a statement, Gabby's parents, attorney Patrick Riley, uh, stated that no amount of money is sufficient to compensate the Petito family for the loss of their daughter, Gabby, at the hands of Brian Laundrie. Now, uh, obviously, everyone knows Brian doesn't have $3 million. It's an arbitrary number, but whatever monies they do receive will help Gabby's family in their endeavors with the Gabby Petito Foundation. Yeah, they're never going to get any money. They're just not going to. It's an arbitrary number made up. You might as well made it $30 million. The estate of Brian Laundrie has nothing in it to collect from. It is a hollow judgment. I hope it makes the family feel better. I get it, but it's not worth the piece of paper it's written upon. Next, the Casey Anthony judge who provided over Casey Anthony's criminal trial isn't buying her latest explanation of the death of her daughter. 
Now, Judge Belvin Perry Jr. stated that he doesn't think Casey's version of events, namely that her father, George, was responsible for the two-year-old Casey's death, adds up based upon what he recalls from the case. Now, retired Judge Perry thinks that Casey's story hasn't been consistent and believes she has caught herself in a few lies that undermine her credibility. He says she blamed a babysitter for kidnapping Kaylee earlier. The judge also said there's some damning evidence, namely the smell of death inside Casey Anthony's car trunk at the time Kaylee disappeared. Now, Judge Perry uh, is obviously retired. Uh, from the bench also notes that there was no hard evidence Kaylee drowned in the pool or that Casey's dad sexually abused her. Long story short, the judge also doesn't think her new story lines up with the facts of the case. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Monroe County Sheriff's Officer spotted a motorcyclist at about 8.30 a.m. illegally passing vehicles in the center turn lane. The motorcyclist, later identified as 35-year-old Martin Quincy, didn't stop for the deputies. Deputies say that his uh, speed fluctuated from 70 miles an hour up to 117 miles an hour. Quincy continued to pass vehicles illegally before he ultimately stopped. When stopped, they asked why he was speeding. Well, they found that on worms, and he said that he was speeding because he was late for a flight. Well, he was arrested charged with fleeing and eluding, and guess what? He missed that flight. Oh, and he also got charged with reckless driving and possession of I don't worry. That's just dumb. You should have just pulled over. You would have made your flight, got the ticket, and not been charged as well. All right, thanks for watching. Um, have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.